Playing with Velvet Tom. And now, your host, with really bad timing, Velvet Tom. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whenever you're listening to this. This is Bad Timing with Velvet Tom. I'm your host, lover, loser, and legend, Velvet Tom. Welcome to episode 12. We made it around the clock face. Can you believe it? I can. This is a great episode. My guest today is friend and filmmaker Anna Kaiser, and she stops by to have a great conversation about her award-winning short film project, She Had It Coming. And we get a behind-the-scenes glimpse at what it took to make this wonderful project, what it's like to be in the festival circuit during COVID-19, and much, much more. So stay tuned into this episode, please. Hey, Velveteers, my fan base, I see you out there watching me, listening to me, and I appreciate you. Thank you very much for staying fans. And for you new fans, time to open up a new browser tab and go to velvettom.com. That's all things Velvet Tom. It is the virtual Velvet Lounge of me, Velvet Tom. You can listen to the most recent episode of Bad Timing on the homepage. You can find out how to book me for your virtual holiday event because that stuff is coming up. And much, much more. You can go like my fan page on Facebook. You can subscribe to my YouTube page because there is nothing more I would love than your eyeballs on my junk. So tune in and watch. I hope you like what you're listening to. And if you'd like to make donations to keep the Velvet Lounge opened, then you can go to my Venmo, at Velvet-Tom, and make a small donation. Show me that you care. Also, you can message me, too. You can message me through the contact page on my website and other messaging platforms. Send me something funny. Send me something naughty. But don't be mean, because you'll get deleted and blocked. There's enough meanness in the world, and VT ain't got no time for it. So, how was your Halloween? It's the day after Halloween. Are you a Halloweener? Did you Halloween? Are you Halloweened from this holiday so we can move on to the next big two? Because we're in the stretch. We're in the home holiday stretch. And these holidays, particularly Thanksgiving, Christmas, Let's be honest, they're family-centric holidays. Families have been fractured by COVID-19. I won't go into the devastation, folks. We're living it every day, and it's, it's hard. And, you know, in some words, horrifying. Uh, but that's about as far as I'll go. But what I'm trying to get to is that this is the time to reach out to folks, okay? Folks that you know probably you need to check in on. Folks that you know that are lonely that you know are having a tough time during this. And for you folks that are lonely, that just struggle with reaching out, let me tell you, I know where you're coming from and outreach is important. And there's so many, it's so easy to reach out to somebody. Even a text that says, sup, question mark, just to let somebody know that you're alive is what's important. So stay stay in contact because everybody is thinking about someone naked. All right, folks, this is going to be a great episode. Anna and her husband, Derek, are great. Uh, they are friends of my now wife, Thaphne, and that's how I got to know them. And we miss going out to dinner with them and laughing with them and having a great time. 
and we want to see them again. <laughs> we want that again, and uh, I hope that we get there one day. I'm, I'm certain of it, but in the meantime, I have this great conversation uh, with Anna, so sit back, enjoy, learn something from this conversation with Anna Kaiser. You sound perfect. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, we started a fall garden, so it's radishes and beets. I don't know if I don't know if you've been in the loop. I don't know if we've told you, but uh, tomatoes and cucumbers have happened. Peppers uh -huh. have happened. Uh, we got some garlic going, but now it's all root vegetables. For That's so exciting. So <laughs> it's all on your, is it a balcony or? There's a little space behind uh, the garage space. So I don't know if, if you've, of course you've been here. You've, you've been to that place. I've picked her up. I've never been inside. Oh my gosh. Really? Really. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So separate, there's a separate garage space. So there's like this little area that was meant to be a green space. Like it's just okay. sort of just slab of concrete. So I started collecting pots that I knew weren't being used because I saw them sitting around for years coming back and forth here. We got some new pots. We found this place like down, I think like near the forum. So like in Inglewood okay. and they were selling huge pots for nothing, like large, terracotta like half half wine barrels wow so then the garden went nuts so it was tomatillos and herbs and everything so it's become this big thing and then there's a giant six-foot marijuana tree that's about to be harvested so is it yours yes cool yeah really cool so <laughs> that process uh yeah so uh, do you have a green thumb at all? Do you do any sort of growing? I don't know if I do, because I've actually never, like, when I was a kid, uh, I think the one house I can remember when I was really young, maybe we had some vegetables or something. And I was like five, so I didn't have anything to do with it. And then honestly, since I've turned, I don't think I've lived in a house or anywhere that had, um, anything to accommodate the garden since I was like 21. Yeah. So I always think of it like fondly, like I would love to have a house to be able to do that. We've, Derek and I have talked about it. And like, if we take walks in the neighborhood, you know, we see occasionally, um, not so much gardens per se, but like we would love to have like a pomegranate tree or, you know, something like that where we could just like pick it right off and, a lime um, tree or something. Yeah, this something. Sparks sort of in a pot right next. Yeah, it's useful. Yeah, yeah. so maybe one day, Derek. Uh, I mean, buying a place is the American, well, the LA dream. <laughs> and I don't know when that's going to happen for us, but uh, I mean, in light of what might take place four or five days from now, Derek's oh, like, uh, you know that uh, all these countries are offering one-year visas. <laughs> <laughs> you to go there <laughs> and I'm like dude <laughs> so uh he mentioned Barbados Barbados is offering a one-year visa Barbados is good <laughs> Costa Rica in a heartbeat I've already been yeah. there, so 
And yeah, so I guess actually a fair amount of countries are like, hey guys, if things don't turn out the way that you want them to, but it's only for one year. So it's like, that's a huge upheaval. And then you gotta year. go home. And yeah. then you gotta go home. <laughs> and, face, and face maybe some music. I don't know. Are, right. you, are you feeling, I'm, you're obviously feeling anxious about I am um I don't I don't honestly know what to think because I pretty much am surrounded by like an echo chamber like everybody feels the same way I do so it's like there's like this idea that like okay well everybody wants Biden but then obviously that's not the case and and so I just don't know I did not think for a second four years ago that Trump was gonna win I really didn't yeah, total joke. So now I don't know what to think anymore. Um, Sometimes I think that's the point, is yeah. to put people in a state of not knowing what to think anymore. This is, to me, felt like, I don't know, it's almost felt theatrical. Mm -hmm. It's felt phony, and it was felt to keep people off of their game of not really knowing what's going on on a daily basis. I'm exhausted. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I think Gardner I voted. Um, I did yeah. the thing I can do. Did it. You know. You you filled out your ballot, you took it to the box, dropped it in. We did too. I had a friend who, uh, he was so concerned about making sure his, like, I didn't actually think this was a big deal. I just signed my signature and I move on with my day. But mm -hmm. he was trying really hard to make sure that his signature on the ballot matched his signature on his driver's license. And yeah. so he signed his name in the wrong place. And I'm like, dude. And so, <laughs> so he had to, like, I guess it was a, like, basically what you do is like the same thing that you do on a check. You cross it out, initial it, and then you sign it in the correct place. So that's how, like, if ever that is something you need to know, that's how you correct uh, signing in the wrong oh, place really? on a ballot. Oh, mm -hmm. good. Oh, boy. Yeah, that, yeah. That's tough. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think we finally needed to take a break. I will get into an MSNBC swirl. You know, I, I think it's, it's like, well, I got to watch Rachel. Rachel Maddow's always got the good information, but then it starts growing into the afternoon and then into the evening. But after Rachel Maddow, it's reruns of Family Feud. I turn that stuff. <laughs> well, then yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're going to really be paying really, because like, I don't know how much good it's going to do for us mm -hmm. until there's something conclusive for us to be watching poll results come in all day. I just don't know how that's going to affect like our emotional state. So Derek's like, I don't want to pay. I don't, I don't want to know until like we know. And I was like, I get it. I get why. I don't know. 2016. I remember I was still, I still had two roommates over at my other place and we were looking at the poll results coming in things look sort of, uh, and in our neighborhood, like Russell and Western, we went to Franklin Village to Birds. Do you know where Birds is? I've heard of it. Yeah. Birds is a nice one. And we just went there to drink. We were like, let's just go have a drink. I'm sure everything will be fine. It'll be good. And it, we just sort of just watched Trump just take away electoral points. And then we went home and we like, 
I'm sure things will be fine if we just go to bed and wake up the next morning, everything will be just fine. But I just, I remember birds was like the clearest thing because it was just like, yeah, I gotta get it. We gotta go get it. And that's when you could still go out. Now it's like mm -hmm. buy your alcohol and hunker down. Yeah. Pour it up your yeah. windows. No, I mean, it's like, I feel like our recollections of that day is like what older generations say when they like know where they were when Kennedy was shot. Because like, I remember that day so clearly, like I, you know, was at work that day, poll, re poll results start coming in while I'm still at work. Mm -hmm. um, not, in, not enthused about them, but same thing, thinking it's going to be just fine, like no big deal. And then Derek had actually come to pick me up at work because then we were going immediately to Paul and Angie's because they were having an election party. Mm -hmm. And so then we head over there and as just more results keep coming in, I mean, everybody there went from like optimistic and hopeful to just, I mean, I was, I was like bawling by the time we left. Like I was like, we need to get out of here because I can't even like keep myself together anymore. And, you know, I just remember Derek and I driving home kind of in silence, you know, and not really understanding how this could have happened. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously things turned out the way they did, but we even talked about, we're like, do we get married like tomorrow? Because we were already engaged at that point, but the wedding for, wasn't for like, I don't know, five, six months. Uh -huh. And we're like, and basically it was like, we don't want to get married under a Trump regime. <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> you know, and we were, we were too far gone at that point. But um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's where we are four years later. <laughs> Let's switch to some good news. Uh, sure. It's, uh, this podcast is called Bad Timing because I could have picked, I couldn't have picked a worse time to start a podcast during but also it's this is zoom is or whatever uh meeting platform people are using these days to communicate has really come in handy because no one has to go anywhere no one has to sit and i sort of like this face to face but um this for you has been interesting in the latter part of of COVID because you've actually had some good timing with the project that you're working on right now. A little bit. Award, we call it an award-winning project, can yes. we not? Yeah. yeah, I know. So she had it coming. We got to watch the premiere. We got to watch the Zoom premiere, which, I don't know, isn't this kind of interesting that this is how it's all folding out? Yeah, and uh, certainly not what I, thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year for sure nobody did for any aspect of life but um i mean i'm i'm grateful because look you know it it would have been great for you know the couple of film festivals that we've gotten into so far mm -hmm. the one that we attended last weekend was a drive-in so like yes you know like i got to meet the the film festival director but you know, at a distance and, and you're not really like mingling, you just can't. Um, I will say that outside of the you know, authority of the festival, because they obviously like can't control people's behavior. Some people just on their own as they will anywhere, whether they're like in the grocery store or where, whatever, 
will do things that like I wouldn't personally do, like take off a mask to take a picture or something like that. Um, but you know, so there, I was seeing, I was noticing a little bit of that, but overall people weren't really congregating or interacting because it's just not safe to do so still. And that's a huge part of a film festival, you know, is getting to get to know other filmmakers and do the whole networking thing. But that being said, I'm, I'm really thankful because, you know, as far as the pandemic goes, there's no way of getting around it. And at the time that it first started, we already were, you know, well, thankfully we weren't in production. We were well done with production and we were really coming upon the end of post. So, you know, we already had done our crowdfunder. That's another thing I'm so grateful for because, you know, it's hard enough as it is under the best of circumstances to be able to be successful on that front. And that's not because people don't want to support you, mm -hmm. but, um, Hey, it's hard. You're asking people for money and there's a lot of other reasons why they need their money. <laughs> so, so it's hard enough as it is. Yeah. I know a couple people who attempted to do a crowdfunder during COVID times and it did not work out well for them. Um, they really were struggling to like, I know one person where I think the goal was maybe around 20,000 and I think they got to maybe eight. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful that we are well past that point when we got into this new sideways world and yeah, I mean, we were pretty much wrapping up the two people that were actively working on the short could easily work from home because they were doing post sound and they were doing post, um, post coloring. So that wasn't something that they had to worry about at work, you know, and, and then from there, you know, the film festival circuit has had to pivot really severely um, in light of all of this. And some have just straight up decided that they are going to cancel for this year. Mm -hmm. um, they're just gonna, you know, sit on it, see how things pan out. Um, some of them, like the one I was at last weekend, have had the opportunity to make it a drive-in option. Um, so that's great, that's fun. Where was that? What, uh, that was in Portland. Portland. And that was for the Portland Comedy Film Festival. So um, that was the one that you, thank you for, for being so kind and bringing up the accolade at one best dark comedy. Um, so that was real fun. And, um, and yeah. they had a great space to do it. I mean, I'll, if I could just take a moment, the film festival um, director, Michael Fair, he, he partnered up with this um, space uh, called Sunshine Mill Winery. And so it used to be a mill, so it's this huge, huge space. And then it was converted at some point into a winery and it's kind of like a dining area, really cool, funky kind of um, vibe. They've been really struggling uh, in light of COVID because both, you know, the indoor dining element, but then also, and you could get the sense of it from the space, you know, they do a lot of wedding receptions and that sort of thing, and that's been gone um, since COVID. And so, to be able to have this partnership where people can come and, you know, even people from the festival to have, you know, wine or appetizers or whatever helps their business. And um, everybody who was, you know, had a film in the festival, you don't get a free ticket. Everybody pays for their own ticket, but uh, Michael Fair flipped that cost and the amount that you spent on your ticket, he flipped into a gift certificate for the winery so that that winery was getting literally all the proceeds from the festival. 
which wow. I thought was so neat. <clears throat> so thank you for letting me to say that because that was really, really cool, I thought. Um, so yeah, but you know, other festivals, I, the most common uh, pivot has been making everything go online. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a festival that at some point that's what's gonna happen. But you know, again, kind of like what I was saying, there's a fraction of the opportunity to get to meet other filmmakers and um, and yeah. mingle with them. But yeah. But overall, I cannot complain about where we're at, you know. So other people have been in much more difficult circumstances. How did the project begin? Where's the start? I mean, obviously a script, but I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, so She Had a Coming is a feature I wrote. And about two years ago, it, it didn't win, but it placed at the Austin Film Festival. It, it was what they call a second rounder. Um, and off of that, just, you know, by happenstance of talking to friends about it and what have you, um, it generated some interest, especially with this actor that I had met. Her name is Skylar Shock, and she really gravitated towards the material. Um, we did a table read of it with a group of friends prior to the festival, and she just really latched onto the material. And so once I came back from the festival for a hot second, she was like, I think we should just make this movie. And, you know, who doesn't want to hear somebody say that about your work? So I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know how to do that, you know, because I'm, I'm not a production person. Yeah, I went to film school, but, um, you know, I'm a writer. I sit at a desk all day. And so we, you know, kind of played around with that idea for a little bit. We had a director attached for a hot second ultimately we realized that there just wasn't going to be the financing for it. And so then we pivoted and said, okay, so let's do a proof of concept short. And that's definitely something that other filmmakers have done. And they've had a lot of success with it. Um, like Damien Chazelle, who did uh, Whiplash. That's how that project came along. He already himself had the feature script. Oh, wow. Yeah. Couldn't get the financing for it. And so he did a short that, did incredibly well through the festival circuit. And that's how the interest was generated for him to finally do the feature. Um, and so we're like, yeah, let's do it. And, and it's still a standalone. I mean, it's, it's its own story, even without, you know, knowing potentially that it's, it's actually part of a feature. Mm -hmm. um, yes. But yeah, so that's how it kind of came about. And um, last summer, I can't believe it's already been over a year, um, you know, that's when we just kind of finally fast-tracked it. We had kind of been um, dragging our feet, I guess is the way to put it, because we just didn't really know what we were doing. You know, we didn't know, and plus there's the monetary component. Um, and then finally, we're like, okay, we just need to do this. And basically what we did is we picked a weekend. We got, like, kind of, we did kind of like a version of a deal memo with our actors it's a huge cast it's 11 characters mm -hmm. and to find a weekend that everybody can do we had to you know book them months out and so we basically worked backwards from that date and just did everything else that we had to do um so that we would be ready to shoot that weekend and it was a very lean and mean uh <laughs> production um we had one like 
pretty full day of rehearsal and like blocking and the whole thing. We were very fortunate. We were able to be at the location for that. And then the next day we, we shot everything in one day. And, uh, wow. Yeah. I would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> long day, long day. Long day. <laughs> we actually, believe it or not, because we had a kick-ass first AD. Uh -huh. And so we finished actually like, I think maybe 20 minutes ahead of time because she was that good. Oh, great. Um, but it was, it was a long day still for everybody. And we got a lot in. Yeah. Uh, you, you certainly did. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed Thank like you. being like one of the first people to see it, you know? <laughs> it's so great. Uh, can, uh, can the general public see it anywhere right now? Unfortunately, no, um, only because with the film festival circuit, some festivals truly don't care, but a good percentage of them make it really clear that it cannot live online. Um, they don't want it on Vimeo, they don't want it on YouTube, and it's grounds for disqualification. And so that's why. So we're just going to wait till our festival circuit is over. Um, you know, we're doing a, a fall to fall, so fall. 2020 to fall 2021 so it will be a little bit of time okay. unless you know these things can't be controlled so this is all you know dependent upon us getting into more film festivals <laughs> who knows if that will happen but um if if that's the trajectory we take then we'll have to wait till that phase is over and then for sure i would love to have it up somewhere i mean maybe it would be vimeo um we crowdfunded through seed and spark and they have their own platform. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm not quite sure what that entails. I don't think it's like an automatic just because you crowdfunded through them, but it, that's a possibility that it might live there. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what Is happens. Is there something special about Seed and Spark that uh, the reason that you chose them over like a bigger name, like GoFundMe or something like that? Yeah, I mean, they are like kind of entertainment centric. Mm -hmm. um, so they, oh, okay. yeah. So they are um, a crowdfunding platform specifically for film, television, web series, that kind of media. And um, because of that, they cater really well to the needs of the people who are crowdfunding. Um, and also they're pretty hands-on. I mean, basically what they do is they have you fill out your entire profile, which this is not something that you just do in one afternoon. Like it takes a lot of time and preparation to create this whole profile for your project. And part of that project, which is mandatory is basically a pitch video um, that, you know, that's going to be what people are going to see first when they go to your page. Mm -hmm. And that pitch video, I mean, it technically I think can be as long as you want, but you know, attention spans, they recommend that it's no longer than like two-ish minutes. Um, so essentially what they do is they say, you need to fill out your profile, submit it. We will look through it and we will give you notes on what we like. They're like, ultimately it's your baby. So you can literally disregard all of our notes, mm -hmm. but we're just trying to help you succeed. And so they'll give notes. I got some notes. Um, they give you a little bit of time to rework and then, and then ultimately like it's up to you when you hit the button to start the campaign. And then when you hit that button, you essentially have 30 days to raise your funds. Okay. And another thing that's really great about them is um, 
unlike, and like, because I eventually took the Steven Spark route, even though I was researching like GoFundMe and Kickstarter and that sort of thing, um, at the moment I'm not current with like their different individual rules, but I know that with Seed and Spark, if you made at least 80% of what, or you raised 80% of what your goal was, you get what they call the green light. And then you get those funds. So even if you don't get to 100%, you could get to 80, you're good. So, um, wow. yeah, and they take like a reasonable cut, you know, that's part of it too, obviously. Sure. But it's, um, yeah, it was a very reasonable amount. So I, no complaints. Like they, they were really great um, partner in all of that. So, but uh, again, I will not crowdfund again because it's, um, it's, it's really tough. I don't know if you, have you ever been part of a crowdfunding project? Uh, I'd like to, as Velvet Tom, do an album or even sort yeah. of a, or, or an EP. And my first, my first notion would go to crowdfunding. I've never had any experience because there's a part of me that has a problem with asking strangers for money, I think yeah. is what it is. I think that's sort of the res my own personal resistance with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think anybody who has some kind of creative um, notion, you know, whether it's like a short or an album or what have you, definitely mm -hmm. do it once because sometimes like that's really going to be the only way you're going to get the funds. Yeah. Um, I mean, we self-funded the production and we did the crowdfunder for post-production and marketing and the film festival funds because okay. film festivals are very expensive. Um, so that's why we crowdfunded. But the reason why I said I just wouldn't do it again is because sure, you'll meet some new people. You get some kind of new contacts through just the experience of it. But for the most part, unless it's like 10 years between campaigns, you're probably going to be asking the exact same people to support you if you do another crowdfunder a year or two after your first one. And that's what I'm not willing to do. Like, I, I can't tell you how, how grateful I am for the support. I have so many people in my life, you and Daphne included, who are amazing and supportive in any way you can be, you know, and I appreciate that, but I'm not going to take advantage of that, you know, and I don't necessarily want to say that's what people are doing with repeat um, crowdfunders, but I'm not going to tap the same group, you know, over and over and over. it's not their responsibility to fund my projects. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's not. It doesn't become like an artistic alumni that every time you <laughs> you start having a time to tap those people that gave me money before, you know. Yeah. You'd think at that point that you know that you'd be able to like. That's very interesting what you said. Like, be able to self fund your projects. Like, you were able to self fund production, pre production, mm -hmm. and and the shoot day but then you used crowdfunding for everything else. Mm -hmm. See, I see that that's a whole other level of looking at it because I would have just, I would have just said, I would have put a, like a $10,000 stamp on it and said, got to pay my artists, got to do some artwork for this. And that, and that would be it, you know, that, that would be the biggest consideration, but to use it as a post-production tool is also very interesting. Um, I felt like it made her a manageable amount of money to raise. 
you know? So like, I know some people we're all in pre-production to post. I still think this is a little excessive for a short, but I've seen people fundraise or crowdfund for like 30 grand. And that to me is like a crazy amount of money to be asking for a short. Um, And I would be terrified of trying to go that big. And, you know, they have varying levels of success. Um, we, we crowdfunded for, I think it was 8,600 and we eventually made 108% of, of what we asked for. So we, we surpassed 100%. That was lovely. Great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think what the way I look at it now is that experience. And then the project that I was able to create with, of course, lots of other people out of that, um, support that should be kind of a stepping stone to you learning as an artist how to do that in other ways. Whether it's that you use that project to get attention of people who are more normally in, in the you know financial investment, whatever world, and, and you get those connections of like real people, not just your friends and family mm-hmm. to give you money. Um, or, you know, you have, and certainly this happened for me, I now have a much, much better idea of like the true costs that go into even something that's a 10 minute short. And then you decide, okay, well, maybe I'll try grants. Um, maybe I'll just wait a little bit and then I'll save the money on my own, you know, whatever it is. But I think you should come away from that initial crowdfunding experience with the means to, if you're going to do another project, figure out another way to do it, you know, but some people do it differently, you know, and they continually use the crowdfunding world. So. Uh, it sounds like the mind of an executive producer, you know, how you're <laughs> talking. Did you ever, I mean, was that you come into it going to film school? I mean, you went to film school at Columbia College in Chicago. Correct? I sure did. Fellow alumni, class of 97, BA and Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they, in my experience, there was one class called professional survival or, or, or business for the actor. They tried their best at, with what they had. I mean, this is, this is pre explosion of the internet. So no one could understand the possibilities of it. And uh, I love my alma mater. I, you know, I've tried, I've tried in the past to work with the West Coast alumni, mm-hmm. but there was very little to set me up for all the other different things an actor has to do. You know, an actor, I've had to learn how to do many other things, wear many, many hats just to be an actor. Did Columbia College Film School prepare you for being an executive producer? <laughs> Um, no. no, but I will say that at the time that I was there, I mean, I think here's the thing that I think, um, is probably the downfall of many a film school. Mm-hmm. They, maybe they've gotten savvier. It's been a minute since I've been in film school. So who knows how things have changed, but it's so concentrated on the, the creative side and the art side that I think you get this really um, 
unrealistic sense of what it's going to be like when you get out there. And, and the thing is, is that you don't know what you don't know. So you can't even like, and, and like, look, I, I, I feel like my life, whole life has been a slow burn. I feel like I've just done things later in life than most people. And so, okay, great. So um, when I was at school, I mean, when I think back to just how clueless I was about a great many things, especially relating to career, I always knew that trying to make a career in film was going to be difficult. That I knew. I knew that that wasn't something that worked for everybody. But that being said, um, you know, I was just focusing on writing. I just thought I'm going to be a screenwriter. My apologies for the sirens. I have Siren Central right out front of my window. Just okay. <laughs> okay. I just, I didn't want to, I knew there's a little bit of the elephant in the room, so to speak. Um, but in any case, uh, you know, I just focused on my writing and didn't really ever think about, well, how do you get this thing that you've created, this like stack of paperwork that's called a script and make it into something? Like I just wasn't thinking. And so it's possible that they offered classes. I mean, obviously they did have like a pro producing curriculum and that sort of thing, but what I wish they would have said to me then, and like, look, I actually really loved all my professors. I'm still in touch with a fair number of them. Yeah. But I wish some of them would have said, you have to make your own stuff happen. Don't wait for a producer to walk down the street and be like, you look like you're an amazing writer. I want to produce your work. Don't like, you're not going to just be plucked like those old time stories you know, that maybe once upon a time were true about like certain actresses, you know, uh, sitting at the counter in a soda shop and they get plucked out of obscurity and become a big star. That's not going to happen to a writer. <laughs> like it's just, you know, and, and so I wish, I wish that's what I would have been told. Like, yes, make connections, um, try to that's cultivate cool. real relationships, but you have to be the one that is your biggest advocate. And it took me a really, really long time to learn that. So. I can totally relate to you. I think I can still relate to you because still, there's just still like, I don't know how things work still. Yeah. Or, or it's been so long that I've looked for representation that the idea of looking for new expansive representation is, uh, seems, seems daunting. When it's just a matter of once you get into a groove, putting the pieces together is quite easy. It's just finding that groove. And I think that's probably, I remember, you know, I remember orientation, the big message, the big takeaway message from orientation was network, 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 network. Be as, be as uh, available and indisposable to the people that matter as possible was sort of the big message. Uh, and I guess that kind of comes easy. I mean, I'm the son of a salesman, so it's pretty easy to talk to people. So I don't, it's that problem. It's just sort of separating the, the, the business with, with relationship. And that was going someplace because, uh, because well, if I may, yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to say like, kind of, kind of to your point, I don't know if this is what you had on your mind when you said this, but it sparked something for me. As far as this whole, like, you know, I don't, I don't know certain things. I think that there can be some very kind and generous people in the industry 
I also think that there are people who not out of necessarily nefarious reasons, but kind of out of fear because there's this whole like kind of zero sum, I think that people think of in this industry. And if I share something with you, that's going to maybe take it away from me. Mm-hmm. And, and I have seen that a fair amount. And I mean, it's hilarious because, um, I mean, obviously we haven't gone to anything in close to a year, but, um, once upon a time, you know, my husband, Derek, who is in the industry, but not a creative, but he's amazingly supportive and he'd come to me to like writing panels or whatever. And inevitably when it would get to the Q and A, you would have somebody who probably was on the greener side of things. Maybe they're new to LA, maybe they're freshly graduated from college. So they haven't heard this question asked a million times, but they would ask the panelists, like, what was your break-in story? What was your, what was the thing that got your foot in the door so that you somehow ended up where you are now? And I've just noticed that people are incredibly evasive and don't really <laughs> like answer the question. And, and look, that's their prerogative, I suppose, but that is just another layer of this kind of like secretive, protective uh, vibe that you get sometimes that people, they don't want to share. They don't want to help because they, yeah, for some reason feel like it's going to, it's going to somehow be a detriment to them. So I think that there's a little bit of that. I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same, you know, yeah, but I've seen it. No, I understand. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, for a short time here in Los Angeles, one of my first, second or five, fifth job was teaching at a film school was teaching improv and comedy at New York Film Academy, which you may or may not have heard. Um, it's mm-hmm. sort of loosely related to Universal, but not a Universal, uh, not Universal sanctioned. But uh, we'd get speakers, and we got like the get to speak. We got Ron Howard to speak to us, and Ron Howard. Yeah, that is the get. The nicest probably one of the notably nicest people in Hollywood. He told, he, he said the secret. It was like very simple. He, he said, leverage all of your contacts. If you really want this bad enough, every relationship that you've met, at some point, you're going to have to come to them hat in hand and say, I want to, I want to do, I want to make. And he was very upfront about it. He said, I was a child actor in TV. Mm-hmm. I was on this famous television show, but all anybody had ever seen me do is just act. Mm-hmm. So, so trying to throw my contacts at enough people to try and direct like my first feature film uh, was tough. He said, Splash didn't all, almost didn't get made because no one was confident enough for me to do it. So, which that's amazing because he already still was Ron Howard, you know, <laughs> like no, he's still that hard for him, and he is already entrenched. Sure, in a different discipline, but he's already entrenched in the industry, and it's that difficult for him. In a Hollywood family, I mean, his yes. father, his father was in the yeah. industry. The brother who had who hit younger than he did, uh, yeah, television. So. So even in a family industry, it took everything for him. Mm-hmm. Weird said, sidebar, yeah. um, going back to Columbia College. So during my time there, I did the semester in LA program for screenwriting. And 
I think they have better cultivated this program since my time of doing it because um, during my time of doing it, it was kind of just this like entourage of speakers that they would have come in, but it, after a while you kind of tune out a little bit, but one of those speakers was Ron Howard's father. And yeah, kindest man. I mean, I was like, yeah, of course you're his dad. Like <laughs> it was, it was like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. So um, he just, you know, I can't say I can really remember what he was saying to us. I just remember the kindness. I just remember the, like the, the authenticity and the kindness that he showed us, um, which I guess, you know, there's that saying that people, uh, what is it? They remember how you treat them. Um, and he did a great job of making us feel valued. And even though we were all these like little like upstart, I want to be a screenwriter one day, kids. He he was kind and and really listened to questions, and so he was great. Yeah, uh, it's a it's an art to probably hear the same question over and over again and answer it like it's the first time you've ever heard it. Too exactly, yeah. Um, well, let's go back to then she had it coming because uh, your director on there. Uh, mm -hmm has actually got some notoriety for being incredibly funny in the 80s. Yeah. So three or four things that I could probably name that I remember him from. Uh, it's, uh, what is the director's name? Getty Watanabe. Yes, Getty Watanabe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably what most people would first clock him in yeah. would be uh, 16 Candles, in which he played the character Long Duck Dong. Yes. So that was one of his earlier roles. And so he's been in the industry, though, for 40 years plus. Still. still 40 issues years at this point. Yeah. yeah. Credits, credits all the way from there. I looked, uh, I looked up his IMDb. I was like, what the hell has Getty Watanabe been going on? Uh, I remember him from Gung Ho because I always liked Michael Keaton. And I love that movie. That movie was so great. Uh, about a Japanese car company taking over, but so what was the story? How did how did Getty come on board? So, when we first thought we were doing a feature, we had a different director attached, and then once we made the decision, no, we're going to have to do it as a short. Um, very kindly and with every understanding in the world, she removed herself from the project because she was very interested in doing a feature. Um, she didn't want to. She had already done shorts. She didn't want to do another short. And so that left us without a director. And, uh, you know, there were conversations about me just directing it since it was my material. And I didn't feel like at that time I could. Um, and so that's when we pivoted. And so the a gentleman by the name of Kurt Sanchez uh, Kanazawa, he plays the character of Ethan in the short. He also is a producer in large part, like he was with us throughout pre-production. So he's part of kind of all the conversations about like what the story was going to be and how we were going to do it. Um, because of other projects that he had going on at the time, he kind of stepped back from a producing role when we went into production. Mm -hmm. And But one of the major things that he did is he gave us the introduction to Getty. Um, and so they already were just friends. Um, they, so I want to say it's called the East West Players. It's a theater company in LA 
and they focus, um, I think, both on, like, Asian American stories and also cast with, like, Asian American actors, and so I think that's where the two of them got to know each other, and, um, and even when we would have, like, when we had the table read of She Had It Coming, we actually had it at Kurt's house, and, you know, we would have table reads of different material. It wasn't just my script. And I remember seeing Getty come through a couple times. And so I like, I knew there were friends. And I think probably what just happened is Kurt said, hey, Getty, like, have you ever been interested in directing? Or somehow that conversation came up. And because this is, this is Getty's directorial debut, so he had never directed before. And maybe there's a wee bit of overlap between what you were just saying about Ron Howard um, and Getty, because I think he had expressed an interest, but no project had come along where it was the right fit or he had the opportunity to direct. Uh -huh. And so um, we felt that for something that was a short, that, I mean, like it, it probably would have been a different conversation had it been a feature because that's just such a huge undertaking. But we we're like, yeah, let's do this. Like we're new to this, you're new to this. Let's just, I'll be new to it together. You know, as far as like the production work. And so, I mean, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of him. He, um, he has such a good energy to him. Um, I'll admit that like, you know, the writer side of me wasn't really, I didn't have my writer cap on during production because I didn't have to. So I had my executive producer cap on and there definitely were moments where I was like feeling stressed, <laughs> like, you know, how are we going to do this? And he had a great calming presence about him. Um, loves to laugh, loves to smile, never, literally never saw him in a bad mood. Um, and of course he's great with actors. Like he is an actor's director mm -hmm. because he himself is one. So he was great with the actors. Um, and I just, I really give him so much credit because he came into a project that already had been discussed about at length. And we had these ideas of what we wanted it to be. And and he came in and took this and, and he made some really great suggestions. Like there is an opening to the film that wasn't going to be the opening to the film. And I'm trying not to give away whatever, but um, he, he was the one who said, I really think we need to add this little scene um, to give context to what's going to happen afterwards. And um, the other executive producer who was, who is the star of the short, Skylar Shock, um, you know, she and I, strictly from like a monetary place, we're like, well, we don't know if we could do that because that's going to be more money because that's more hours of shooting. We already are going to have a full day. And, you know, I think there was a really good balance between Skylar, Getty, and myself in terms of um, hearing each other's viewpoints and saying, okay, we can't do this, but we can do this, mm -hmm. you know, and just really having like uh, a really cohesive uh, kind of team to make this happen because again like it was a real lean and mean production and I'm just I'm, I'm so grateful to him for just like rolling with the punches you know of having to kind of work under maybe not the most ordinary circumstances um, having to film literally an entire short in one day um, so was that yeah simple logistics because you didn't like have the space available beyond a day or we hmm um it was more, it was actually more of a function of budget. Okay. We just, because we were self-funding um, and, and there was going to be an additional financial contribution that eventually didn't happen. And so we were kind of working with less money than we thought we were going to. 
Okay. And, and so we were like, this is basically what we have to do. Like it's either we do this or we just, we don't do the short at all. And, and so, you know, again, everybody made it work. And, and if I may, I just want to give a quick shout out to our DP, um, Katie Walker. She was phenomenal and I appreciate so much. And Getty would be the first to say this too. Like he is an actress director and because he also was a first time director, his forte wasn't necessarily, you know, blocking scenes and, and, you know, kind of having that, that eye initially of like, okay, here's what we're going to shoot here. This is how we're going to do it. This is the camera we're going to use. Um, I mean, obviously he picked up in the conversations between him and Katie, he became more adept at like having kind of a dialogue about it, but she really took the lead and in that aspect of it and so again like everybody just really came through in huge ways to to make this thing happen um so very appreciative uh you should be it was a it was a great short uh did you i mean i guess everybody has thought that oh this covid19 hit this is it. I mean, there's so many other things to focus on, like the devastation of COVID-19. But aside from all of that, trying to take our mind off of this, I mean, was there was there a point where you thought that this just was, wasn't going to happen? Like it was like all the work that you had done the year before was just trashed? I, I knew that we would finish the film. Um, I... We were already so far, we were so close to the finish line that I wasn't worried per se about us finishing the film, but I will say that I was very um, much in doubt about what would come next because, you know, we were just coming to wrapping up when everything hit and we were supposed to immediately jump into the festival circuit. Like that was supposed to be, that was the goal all along. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, South by Southwest cancels for the year. And like, not, not that we were necessarily going to, you know, that wasn't necessarily one of the ones on our list, but like. But yeah, I mean, it's a pinnacle one. If they're shutting their doors, then it's like, it's like a house of cards then. Exactly. And not knowing how the other film festivals were going to respond. I mean, part of what, and like, look, I, 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 uh. <laughs> I know this isn't the, the new James Bond film that everybody's been waiting on. I know that this is like a little <laughs> short, but you are like, you know, you got to use that momentum that, that, uh, you know, people, it's still a little bit in people's consciousness, you know, like the people who contributed to the seed and spark, even though I think a lot of people would be understanding of the fact that we're all experiencing a global pandemic. I felt real, obligation to them and not in like a bad way nobody made me feel obligated to them because they contributed to the seed and spark I just personally felt obligated to them to make this thing happen because they supported me um and and I wanted something to come out of it and so you know Skylar and I especially had conversations about like do we keep moving forward with this and we just decided like you know what whatever ends up happening with the film festivals, let's just keep moving forward because what I didn't want to do is shelve the short for a year. Yeah. And, and lose all of that um, momentum that we had had. 
So, so that's why we decided to move forward. And, you know, like I kind of mentioned earlier, um, some of the ones that we had had our eye on have either moved dates or they've just canceled for the year or what have you. But overall, um, most of them have learned how to pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, we didn't really start submitting. We, al- we always knew that it was going to be a fall to fall festival circuit year, which again worked in our favor because had we even finished, like let's say we finished at um, January 2020 instead of May 2020, which is when we did we would have started submitting to the springtime festivals and that would have just completely thrown off everything because that's when everybody's like, Oh my God, we need to just cancel everything. And so, you know, thankful for, for small mercies where it just happened to follow a trajectory that like worked for us. Uh, Do you have any, did any of the festivals come through? Do you have any more submissions uh, out there right now? We, yes, we do. We, um, so as of right now, um, so we had the Portland Comedy Film Festival last weekend. Um, we've been accepted into, um, it's an acronym, S-E-N-E, it's pronounced SCENE. Um, it's Film, Music, and Arts Festival. That's in Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. And that was supposed to be in the fall as well. Um, they, are adamant that they want it to be a in-person film festival so they are pushing it to the spring as of right now with you know to be determined dates so that's on hold Mm -hmm. and then we also were accepted into the chicago international real shorts film festival okay also was supposed to be in october (laughs) um and they're the ones that they are going to make it um just virtual it's just going to be online but they haven't quite figured out their dates yet. They, they already pushed it. I think they just needed more time to figure out how best to do this. Um, so we haven't heard back yet about when those dates. And actually to your earlier question, I, I would never put the onus on anyone to like pay for a festival ticket. But if you want to support a film festival, not necessarily support the short, but support a film festival that's already really struggling, mm-hmm. you could purchase a ticket once they're available to the Chicago International Real Shorts Film Festival, you get to see She Had It Coming, as well as support other, you know, small indie filmmakers. Um, so if, if you want to support the arts in that way, do it for that reason. Um, and then outside of that, I expect, you know, we're already two days away from November. Um, and most festivals kind of get quiet this time of year because of the holidays and everything. So I'm not really expecting to hear much through the end of the year, but the vast majority of the film festivals that we've submitted to have been for spring and summer of 2021. Mm -hmm. So that's when we'll start to hear more about, you know, what made it, what didn't. More what didn't, and that's, it's a numbers game. So that's also, that's also been part of this experience is the rejections. And you're like, why, why, (laughs) you know, but... Who knows? You've you've shared a lot of lessons that you've learned from there. Is there any other lesson that you haven't mentioned? Like any big takeaway from this whole experience? I mean, you wrote it, so you got to distance yourself as a writer and mm-hmm. delve into the production aspect of it. Is there one big takeaway that you will take through Ooh, to the next project? Just one. I, I feel well, like I mean, I'm, you can I'm probably too wordy already as it is. I know, um, I okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, t- the short answer is yes. 
<laughs> There's definitely good foreign takeaways. Um, on a lot of different levels, I think, so this actually does come from kind of the writer perspective, getting to see, so I like ensemble dynamic. Um, that's really fun for me as a writer. I really love writing stories that have like a huge cast of characters, but once it went into production, what I realized is you really need to give something juicy to every actor. Like, I don't think you're necessarily thinking about that as a writer. Sometimes you have a line because like something needs to be said, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes you don't realize, um, obviously you always have your protagonist and you know, who, you know who your protagonist is, you know who your secondary characters are, but everybody needs to have something to play with. And so definitely if there's another project in my future, I would just make sure that everybody has like something fun to play with because I did notice that like in the short, yes, some, some characters were not meant to necessarily be comedic, but you still want something like fun for them to do in the scene. Yeah. And I do think that there was some imbalance there. And so I'd want to try to address that the next time around. Um, I think that as far as like from the money perspective, this is probably not a surprise. I think it's, it's the same with weddings. It's the same with probably moving. It's probably the same with any big event. It's always gonna probably cost more than you think. Um, so set a realistic budget. Actually, that again was something that I was very appreciative of with Seed and Spark because they made a point of saying, yeah, don't like, don't ask for 30 grand if you don't need 30 grand. But if you really need $10,000, don't ask for 5,000. Like you're still not going to be able to make your movie. So ask for what you need. Um, and so I think it's really important to get real clear with yourself about what the budget's going to be and where you can sacrifice and where you can't. Um, and kind of on a related note, you know, I understand that this industry, um, unless you are making a studio film or something of that nature, a lot of people call in favors. A lot of people are like, oh, this is ultra low budget, you know, or whatever the case may be. And sure, you have plenty of really lovely people who understand that and still want to support the work and so they'll do something that um either doesn't pay them at all like all of our actors were deferred i'll be honest about that they all were sag deferred mm -hmm. um the crew were all paid up front but i would love to be able to like they weren't paid like five bucks for the day you know but i would love to be able to make sure that everybody feels valued mm -hmm. and that their expertise and their talent that they are being you know, as much as I can within my own means that they are compensated for that. So, um, you know, I think, I think that's the big part of it. I think a lot of people get really excited about an idea and they like rush into production and they really, again, pull those strings of like trying to get favors from people. And look, if people are willing to do favors, that's great. But you also have to realize that you have to give them something for their time. You have to give them something for what they're giving you. Um, and, and the whole like real plus a meal, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you, it, I, I think you gotta, you gotta sweeten the pot a little bit more. Um, so and an whatever IMDb that is. credit to boot, you know, let's just throw in a little. Yeah. Unless like, it's really a tit for tat where it's like, okay, so you, uh, you know, you pay PA on my stuff and then I'll, you do your, your project and I'll do the same for you. Unless it's truly an equal um, back and forth, you know, that's fine. But, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, those are the big ones. And having a production partner, I'm sure made it easy staying, staying in with 
you know, coloring within the lines. Skylar. Checking. She is, I, I cannot say enough wonderful things about Skylar. She was my rock uh -huh. so many times when like, and like, look, you can always vent to a spouse. You can cry on your spouse's shoulder. You can do all those things, but to have a, a production partner who is like in the trenches with you uh -huh. and, and we would both kind of have our moments. Um, and we both, you know, understood how to bring that person back. And I just, I'm so, so great. And honestly, I've told her this before. She's always very like demure about it, but I'm like, this would not have happened without you because she was the one who said, I think we should do this. And I mean, I was like, here's the script I have. And I never thought about like actually trying to, you know, produce anything from it. And she, she was the one who believed in it. And, um, I, I will never forget that. She's also a phenomenal actor. She's a great producer. I mean, her love and passion is acting, but she's also a great producer. Uh -huh. So um, could not have hoped for, wished, imagined uh, a better partner in all of this. You mentioned that you love the, the big ensemble movie. Was there a movie that you had in mind when you were writing this? Oh boy. Um, I don't know if there was like a movie in mind that I had, but to kind of give you an idea of like the type of dynamic that I love. Yeah. I guess it's going to sound like, but the Goonies. Yeah. That dynamic between the teen characters. I mean, honestly, second to none. They, they're, it's so natural. It's so authentic i know they were kid actors they were phenomenal kid or not and and i see that and i try to emulate that just something that's really natural and the snappiness of the dialogue and and although it's not necessarily in an ensemble way you know the films of like preston sturgis um like lady eve adore that film i love films with like good sharp funny dialogue mm -hmm. and and so I take inspiration from those types of films you know obviously the films from the 30s and 40s some people would find them a little um affected um a little stylized you know uh so I, I get that but that doesn't mean anything like the dialogue is still second to none and then the more recent films where it's a little bit more of a natural kind of um performance from the actors like oh I could just watch that stuff all day I, uh, what I got from it when I watched it was a clue vibe because everybody, oh, yeah. was, I've gotten everybody that. these, these unknown, you didn't know who these people were, were gathering to have this thing. I'm not going to give away too much, but sure. then you start finding out more about the characters that have gathered here. So it felt, it felt clue-like to me, which is, you know, classic comedy. I take that as a high compliment. Um, I, I've had a, a couple people mention that, um, to even be discussed in the same sentence. That's, that's amazing. So thank you for that. That's a, that's a lovely, lovely compliment. Uh, you're welcome. You, you deserve it. And we miss you guys very much. Ugh. We can't wait. I was just thinking about having barbecue at Bledsoe's again. Uh, yeah. We did Bledsoe's barbecue though. We were beginning to start a tradition. Like I we know. were just beginning. <laughs> <laughs> we were just starting to have just 
starting. Great couples, <laughs> restaurants, experiences. Yes. It's all been shut down. Uh, I'm going to just ask you one more and then we'll wrap up. Uh, sure. This is going to be landing on Halloween 2020. Do you guys have any big uh, COVID Halloween plans? No. <laughs> okay, so we're not we're not huge dressing up kind of people. You're not. Okay. Um, yeah, I will. It, may, may I tell you a small anecdotal sto- story? Okay, so yeah. we have a bar down the street from us um, that we we have occasionally frequented. They were having a few years ago uh, '80s like a cover band um, on Halloween. And so we were like, oh, we're there, you know, and we did not dress up as like a, in a couple's costume. So he, my husband went as a zombie and then I went as Mike Ditka from the old, the old bears coach. <laughs> so we did not look like anything of a couple and we go to this bar and just because of where the, we were seated at the bar. Um, but where the stage was, we had to turn our seats to face the band. And so it looked like my husband, Derek was like behind me and he would keep, uh, tapping on my shoulder to, you know, tell me whatever. And I'd lean back and he'd say whatever. And we'd go back to listening. Well, I guess this group of women who, uh, were there to just hang out for Halloween thought that he was like some creeper that was just bothering me. And at one point they came, they were all dancing on the dance floor and this woman comes up to me and she's like, and she like motions with her hands and she's like, come dance with us. And I was like, like I did not understand what was happening. And I was like, no, I'm cool. And she's like, no, cut. And she's like, I'm, she's like, come dance with us. And I was like, no, really, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. So she goes away for a minute and I'm like, I turn to Derek. I'm like, what was that about? And he's like, I don't know. That was so strange. We go back to our thing, and then she comes over a second time, and that's when it clicked. I was like, oh, she's trying to help me. She thinks she's helping me. <laughs> and so, um, I, and so as best as I could, I was like, everything is fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. We're okay. Um, so that was like our one outing in costume, um, literally in the entire time we've been together. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, for this weekend, surely we'll be eating a lot of candy um can pretty much guarantee you that and then because we can't do anything else i mean we've been binging halloween movies since like september 1st but um like tonight we'll watch the original halloween that's one of the ones we do every year and then tomorrow we're just gonna have a binge day so we'll do some classics we watch the exorcist every year um we have some like lighter fare we're gonna do the lost boys and, um, oh, one of the ones that we, we've been on a big, um, Friday the 13th kick this year. Oh, really? Um, so we've been watching all those and we're going to watch Jason X, which is like the most, yeah. It is a highly ridiculous movie, but it's. Is that space Jason? Is that Jason? Yes. Okay. All right. It is. Sure is. Oh. So wait. we're going to watch that. And then a friend of ours, um, has really been recommending to us the new Carrie. So, yeah. um. Yeah, so that's the only one we've never seen. So we're gonna we're gonna check that one out. Yeah, yes. Yeah, what about you guys? Scary movies? Forget about it. No, no scary movies in this house. No Halloween movies. I don't think we do Halloween movies. We don't we don't do scary movies. It's like, like what we are doing though. We are 
we are watching, uh, it is going to be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah! the original cast. So we're doing that. We're going we're gonna to make our donation, and we're going to watch that live. I think maybe there might be some makeup to do, like be like one of those audience members. Because I don't think, like, I've probably been to Rocky Horror Picture Show once, and then Daphne and I watched it again. Oh, it's for Act Blue, is what it is. So Act okay. Blue is raising money there, uh, and they're getting the whole cast together. So is it we, for Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Democratic Party, is that what it's so, for? Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. think that's what it's for. So that that's sounds amazing. One. And but, if you do the makeup, pictures must be posted. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think Daphne's a little excited about it. She was like, "Ooh, I get to mention you up like Dr. Frankenfurter or whatever his name is." That's <laughs> awesome. I can't wait. Oh, All right, sure. I, the only thing is, I have like a oh. wig. I just got this curly, like, sort of brown afro wig that I wore as uh, I was uh, Bob Ross a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. That's a good Oh, it was just his birthday, wasn't it? I think he I think just, so. yeah. Maybe yesterday. Uh, quick, quick, do a shout out for your podcast, 80s Movie Montage. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I keep referring to him as, I know you know Derek, but um, so my husband, Derek, and I. Super meet, husband, Derek, yeah. Super husband, <laughs> Derek. He and I, uh, just earlier this year, uh, started a podcast where, you know, we have a, a mutual love of 80s movies. Um, you, sir, have been on our show for Batman. Um, and so, yeah, we just, every couple weeks, have a movie, you usually have a guest. Um, who's awesome like you were and we just talk 80s movies yeah no you were amazing and actually we kept getting giving shout outs to your episode last time because we the very last one we did was Beetlejuice and so for the holidays and we're like we don't want to like revisit people we've already talked about at length and so we're like go back to our Batman episode go back to our Batman <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe we'll see a spike in, in those numbers. So, and you were, again, you were amazing on that. It was, it's always so fun. I think I found out there is one amendment because we were talking about Prince, how he became involved with it. I think he was a huge Batman fan. I think he's like been oh. a childhood fan. There is one picture and he's quite the basketball player for being only five foot, four inches. But uh, there's a picture of him in all Batman, like he's wearing this cut-off black Batman shirt. He's got Batman socks on, these black shorts with a little Batman logo on him. So he's just covered in Batman. And he's just playing street ball. You can find that. I saw it, I saw it a couple of That's weeks. That's amazing. And I could see him being quick. I could see him being agile. Yes, quite. Yeah. This has been so lovely. Thank you for being my guest. Uh, this has been my pleasure. It's been so fun to talk to you. Thank you for being so gracious and asking about the short and letting me go on about the short. So thank you very much. This has been your time. My oh. pleasure. There it is. Another exciting episode of Bad Timing. Thank you, Anna Kaiser, for being my guest today. I miss you guys. Hope to see you soon. I learned something. I learned something every episode that's why I do this I love it because I love learning about where other people came from to this point 
and most of you I've worked with will continue to work with in the future once we're back to work. It's a tough time for our artistic community. So we're all finding our way and we're finding some endurance and I really appreciate your time. Uh, that being said, if you're listening to this and you think you're artistic or you have a special interest that you'd like to share and you'd like to be my guest, then contact me. I've already told you you can message me. If you'd like to support podcasting, do so. You can send me a donation to my Venmo at Velvet-Tom. Support podcasting. It is a growing medium, still a growing art form, even after all these years. Anna and Derek have their own podcast, 80s Movie Montage, where we talk about movies from the 80s. Duh. We talked about Batman 1989. It was a great conversation. We go in depth, and I would give it a listen to. So find that episode, 80s Movie Montage. Again, keep listening to Bad Timing with Velvet Tom and subscribe to my YouTube and my many, many social media platforms. I appreciate you. I love you. And let your voice be heard by voting, too. Go out and vote. The election's in two days. So if you haven't voted yet, I'm sorry you have to wait in that long line in that cold weather. Uh, but I appreciate your voice being heard. So stay safe, stay distant, and as always, stay velvet. <laughs>